Good afternoon, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to uh, the Media Artist on uh, Sunday, the 2nd of March, before t this afternoon's performance of Program 3 in the 2014 season of San Francisco Ballet. Uh, the Meet the Artist program is uh, organized by the Center of Dance for Education, uh, Director Charles Chip McMill, and uh, I'd like to welcome also to anybody who might be listening on a podcast at a later date. I'm sorry you can't see what yeah, the feast the musicians. <laughs> Behind me, uh, as you obviously realize, is the, the, the fantastic San Francisco Ballet Orchestra, who are going to help me uh, just uh, talk a little bit today about the music, one of the pieces that we're going to listen to uh, this afternoon, uh, The Firebird. And they're going to help me uh, introduce it with some excerpts and, uh, and other things. So, the, the Firebird was written by Igor Stravinsky. In our production, it's choreographed by Yuri Posakov. And uh, it was first presented by the Ballet Russe in 1910. And the impresario, Sergei Diaghilev, approached a very young and unknown composer, Igor Stravinsky, who was barely 27 when he got the commission. Now, legend had it that uh, Diaghilev actually approached other composers first, uh, including Mimsy Korsikov, and Anatoly Lyadov, but uh, they were either deceased or too busy to do it. So, uh, so he, he asked Stravinsky, who he'd actually heard a couple of his pieces. And uh, the, uh, the, over, the premiere in 1910 in Paris was an absolute storm and took the world uh, uh, by storm, I, sh I should say. And Stravinsky became a household name uh, immediately uh, and launched his career. And as you know, he had a, a wonderful career throughout the 20th century. So, um, the Firebird is set in a magical garden. Uh, it's ruled by the evil sorcerer Cachet, and the piece starts in a very mysterious way, played by uh, the double basses and the cellos and the bass drum. And before we start it, because this really is Meet the Musicians as well, I'd like to introduce you a very special section who don't get much of a look in most of the time, although you may see the top of their heads sticking out of the pit. Uh, which is our four members of the bass section, uh, Steve D'Amico, Shinji Eshima, uh, John Lancel, and Mark Drury. And uh, not only are they fantastic players, but I thought it would be great to um, celebrate the fact that I worked out that this year, they are coming between them to 120 years of experience within this orchestra. So. So, uh, the Firebird starts like this. As you can see, uh, it's very dark and mysterious. Uh, the, the instruments play at the lowest of their ranges, and it's very murky, and they even put mutes on, which muffles the sound. So we're all sort of mysterious. And one other thing that makes it really fantastically mysterious is that Stravinsky borrowed a technique of composition from his, his, um, his teacher, Rimsky-Korsakov. Uh, instead of using the normal diatonic, as we call it, scales, he introduced what we call chromatic scales and octatonic scales, which unsettle the listener and 
shifts the key, so we don't know quite where we are. If I can try and explain, this is what it may have sounded like if Stravinsky hadn't borrowed that technique and just stuck to the usual scales that we know from every day. It's not bad. <laughs> but I think you agreed the way that Stravinsky shifts the themes around, uh, the, the, the harmony, uh, makes it so much more mysterious. And in fact, that was a technique that he used throughout the ballet. Whenever he wanted to depict the, the, uh, the uh, magical world, he would use these chromatic and so-called octatonic scales to give that sense of magic to it. Um, so a, a prince stumbles upon the scene. And he, he, he jumps, he, he gets to see the firebird. Is this right? I'm just make sure, I have to make sure I'm on the right part, or else the orchestra will be playing the wrong thing. Yeah. And we are introduced to the firebird with this incredible music. As you can see, it's really quite exciting. Uh, it's almost like you can hear the fire, you know. Uh, and there's not much of a tune, I, I don't think. But I would like to just ask maybe uh, our principal flute player, Barbara, Barbara Chaff, to play what she played very slowly, and maybe just the first four notes. Oh, wait, sorry, just without the grace notes, just the four, four they six, D. That's it. And then the next four notes would be like this, bass low. Right, those two four-note segments, which appear within, what, a, a tenth of a second of the piece, are actually what Stravinsky used for the entire ballet to depict the firebird. It's really quite an, a, a remarkable feat. Doesn't sound much. Let's play it just once more, very quick, that what we played before. The same, same excerpt. And see if you can hear those eight notes very quickly. So we listen out for those themes. The first, the first dance we have in the ballet is given to the firebird herself. And the theme is played by the clarinets and the two flutes and a piano. And it goes a bit like this. As you can hear, it sounds just like birdsong, doesn't it? Uh, I don't know if you heard the motif, probably not. Maybe if I can ask Natasha Fregina on the piano just to play what she played in the third bar. Play it a little slowly. You hear those four notes? He hides the theme within the, with the variation. So underneath that, it's because that's not just what we play. The strings play this incredible little section and I don't know about you, but to me, it reminds me very much of little feathers fluttering. See what you think.
Altogether, it sounds like this. Don't forget to listen out for the piano in the third bar. Do you hear it now? Yeah, there you go. So, the prince arrives and he captures the firebird and she pleads with him to let him go. And so, uh, in the ballet, what happens now, we have a beautiful pas de deux, beautifully choreographed by Yuri, uh, where the, the firebird literally just pleads with him. And it's one of the, the other theme that we have, we just heard dum bum bum bum. The other theme, the other one that rises, is played very slowly by the oboe, with this very longing way. Maybe we can play the beginning of the pas de deux for, for the firebird. Did you hear the last four notes of the oboe? We've already heard it. But let's listen to the first three notes she plays. Now, the next bar is a little elongation of the theme and doesn't need to be there. If, we, if I ask Laura, our principal oboe player, to play the first three notes and miss out the next bar and play the first note of the third bar instead, okay, this is what we get. Do you hear? So that was our other theme. So Sarinci takes this theme and he makes it incredibly slow, almost so slow we couldn't recognize it. Yet this whole pas de deux is based on that and he also adds the, the, the descending figure as well. So who could resist the firebird? So the prince eventually agrees to let her go and the firebird agrees to give him a feather which uh, he has if ever he needs her help that he just has to wave it. And this is the moment in the ballet where the firebird gives him the feather. You hear in the trumpet the same firebird theme played in an entirely different way. It's almost like she's had a little light bulb moment. I said, I know, I've had an idea. <laughs> You hear it? Over in a flash. All these ways that Stravinsky used, these tiny, tiny motifs in completely different ways, and yet the story is so very, very clear. I could honestly speak for hours on it, and I, uh, you probably think I have already, but um, <laughs> I'll leave it there. Just while, when you listen to the ballet, see if you can spot that. Every time the firebird appears, see if you can hear that little, these little motifs. Um, one of the major aspects of the firebird was um, the, instead of using these chromatic scales for, to depict the uh, magical animals, Stravinsky used the normal, as we say, diatonic uh, scales to depict the mortals, the princesses and the princes. And not only that, Stravinsky borrowed another facet of his teacher's Rimsky Korsakov's compositional technique, and he brought in lots of folk song into his works. 
Uh, Stravinsky loved folk song. He was all over his work. In fact, uh, uh, sorry, I beg your pardon, Stru not Stravinsky. Stravinsky Korsakov loved it so much. And he even wrote an entire symphonietta based on the themes. I'd just like to play a very small excerpt of that symphonietta. It's a lovely. <coughs> Thank you very much to our horn section, by the way, Kevin with our principal. Now, one of the most uh, beautiful and luxurious and gorgeous bits in the ballet is the rondo of the princesses in the in the garden. And in fact, well, let me just let me just do one thing first. I'm going to play that how that piece starts. It starts with the oboe and the harp. Did you recognize it? Not only did Stravinsky borrow the idea of using folk songs, he even borrowed the folk songs themselves. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Stravinsky actually uh, loved Rimsky-Korsakov. Uh, Rimsky-Korsakov died the year before Stravinsky wrote this piece, and uh, Stravinsky actually often referred to Rimsky-Korsakov as his second father. So this was a real um, honor that Stravinsky did that. Interestingly enough, that, um, that folk song is called In the Garden. So not, a, it's not only is it uh, a nice boy from Richard Koskoff, but it's actually very apt because th the scene itself takes place in the magical garden. Now, most of the, uh, the music for the mortals has a very folk song type quality to it, but we only know of one actual other folk song that Stravinsky used, and that comes right at the end of the ballet. And it's a folk song called By the Gate. And in this section, <coughs> Excuse me. Um, it's right at the end of the ballet. Cachet's egg has been broken, his soul has been destroyed, and the princesses have been freed from their, slip, their, their, their imprisonment. And at the end of the darkness which follows, the orchestra, led by the principal horn, leads us into light. And so it goes on, really one of the most beautiful pieces of music ever written. Um, only three years later, Stravinsky would revolutionize uh, uh, Western music when he wrote The Rite of Spring, which was so different than anything that had been written before 
full of dissonances and a rhythmic energy and vitality uh, that had never been heard and uh, really influenced the whole of Western music ever since. It's quite an extraordinary achievement for just one piece. And in that piece, he would alter the meat of the music, so we were always jarred. We were never allowed to sit in one rhythm. And even though the Rite of Spring was really when that first appeared in its full glory, we hear in, in this writer's, in the, in the Firebird, just the smallest hint that Stravinsky was already heading towards that. He takes that beautiful melody, which is in a very simple three time. One, two, three, one and two, three. Just very simple. He then transforms it and changes the rhythm, the meter of it, and puts it into seven, which jars us. And so the, the, the energy of the, the, uh, the, the tune comes on different beats. So it's going to go like this. So it's totally different. The, the, the world has woken up. And you can hear that instead of being one, two, three, it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, all the way. It's almost like it's a, a jiving dance. And quite interestingly, I was thinking, uh, Yuri uh, choreographed this with very traditional um, Russian movement in a 7-4. It's great to watch. I love that bit. So after the final energy of that 7-4 uh, section, we're left with one final salute. And I'm just going to ask the, well, who, who shall I ask? The first trumpet, John, the, f uh, the first trombone, the tuba, and maybe the second horn to join in. And we're going to play just the last f four bars, is it, of the piece? Whatever I said it was. Right? I have to do that all the time. They never stop. <laughs> Thank you very much. It was beautiful. Now, those of you who've been here from the beginning or have and have been paying attention will recognize that immediately, of course, as the Firebirds theme. Okay? We've, we, we've finished the piece in this diatonic blaze of glory with all the no, no strange harmonies, nothing. But at the very end, Stravinsky brings in the Firebirds theme to remind us that although the, um, the prince and the princesses are now king and queen of their, of their kingdom, they also owe a great deal of gratitude and debt of gratitude to the firebird. And uh, of course, it doesn't sound like that at the end, but it sounds a little bit like this.
Thank you very much. Thank you very much, the orchestra. Uh, we, uh, we could talk about the Firebird forever, but I think that's enough. I just wanted to give you a very small insight of how Stravinsky composed it, what was going through his mind, uh, if you can hear those themes later. Now, uh, we have a few, just a few minutes left, and uh, uh, if anybody has any questions about anything, hopefully, hopefully orchestra-related, that'd be good. Yes. Good question. The question is, uh, when did I decide I want to be a conductor? Um, well, I was always a, 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 from a very early age, I played in orchestras. My mum was a, a music teacher and actually played the triangle in the orchestra when I was four. <laughs> it was very simple. But um, I was, and I played in orchestras all through my life and I remember the day exactly when I wanted to become a conductor. I was 17 years old. I was very fortunate to be working or playing in the National Youth Orchestra of Great Britain and uh, my very first teacher, Vernon Handley, it turns out to be anyway. And uh, we were playing uh, Rachmaninoff Symphonic Dances and we'd be rehearsing it over and over again. And he, we were doing all these things that he'd never asked for and I was wondering why we did it. And I looked up and I realized that he was totally playing the orchestra just as a pianist would play the piano. He was in c complete control and that's when I f suddenly decided that I'd like to have a go. And uh, so, age 17, that was when it was. Any, any other questions? I can't see any hands up. Oh, there's one. Could, we, uh, could I talk a little bit about the difficulties of being uh, an orchestra for a dance company as opposed to a symphony? Well, one of the hardest things is we have to sit six feet below the ground all the time and we never get seen. Is that true? This is why I wanted you all to see them today. <laughs> don't worry, they don't bite. <clears throat> well, first of all, I should say one of the advantages is we get to play a huge range of music. Like the Firebird, it truly is a great piece of music and is absolutely in its rightful place in the pit, not on the concert stage. I truly believe that. Um, You'll see today we have three pieces. We have uh, the first piece is La Bayadere by Minkus, which you could really say is a very classical ballet. And in that piece, or the orchestra can tell you whenever we play it, which we've, this is the seventh uh, performance now of this program, every, every performance is very different depending on who's dancing or how the dancers are feeling that night. Or how, uh, we change the tempos, we change the phrasing in order to match the, t the, the, um, the, the dancers what they're doing on stage. So in that sense, it's very difficult because the, the, the orchestra have no really idea what's going on on stage because they're concentrating on the music and, and quite rightly. So I'm the only one that knows that. So they have to be very responsive to what I'm showing them. And, uh, and it takes, that takes a real skill. And when I go up elsewhere to work with other orchestras for this company, and they're not ballet com uh, orchestras, it's, it's, you realize how lucky we are to have such an amazing group of flexible musicians as we do. Um, so that's about it. Really. There's no real downers. I mean, it's, uh, we play some great music. We, but we, we, uh, we do change the way we play from, time, from day to day for, for the dancers. That's, that's the biggest difference, I think. Whereas in a symphony, we would set our way of doing it and then continue to play that. So. Over here. Yes, yes, uh, yes sir. How do we... P 
So the question is, how do I prepare to play uh, Stravinsky or anything like this when we haven't played it for you know, a while or even possibly for the first time? I think we last played the, the, the Firebird five years ago, something like that. Um, it may interest you to know that we, we have a three-hour rehearsal for it. The orchestra are incredibly quick at learning things. Uh, one of the ways we are quick is that the, mar the parts that we have we keep from last time, and they're very well marked up with, with the way to play it, so that already there's lots of instructions that only the musicians would understand. Uh, so we're already one step ahead. And I'm also very fortunate the orchestra come to the first rehearsal extremely well prepared. They do a lot of work on their own. So when I stand in front of them for the first time, as they come together, together we already have a very clear idea of what's going on. So. Uh, but the great thing about a work like the, F the Firebird is no matter how many times you play it, you always find more interesting things in it. And in fact, just pre preparing that talk, I found quite a few things out about it that I hadn't even noticed before just because I was looking in a different way. So I think uh, the only way to prepare is just to keep studying. Anything else? Hi. Is it the same group of musicians for every performance? Uh, pretty much. I, you, hear, you see here about 65 people. Uh, I have on, uh, in, in my orchestra, we have 49 people who are tenured members of the orchestra. And uh, they are called to every service. And then we, we augment the section of the violins, for instance, to make it a little bit bigger for a piece like the, the Firebird or something like that, the big piece. And we need more percussion here, so we only have one percussionist on tenure, but you'll see four on the back there. <coughs> and uh, uh, but the people we do use are generally the same people. So uh, as I say, uh, we're, we're at the same basis have been playing for the last 120 years. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very, m and that's why the orchestra is so good because they have such a corporate knowledge of what they're doing. You know. Hello. Is there any chance that we could perform in a concert just like the opera orchestra does, but better? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to say that. Of course, many of the orchestra do play in the opera as well, so I can say that with a good joke. Um, uh, there's always a chance. Uh, I think next year or the season after, we're going to be celebrating our 40th anniversary of the orchestra, so I would like to try and get something to uh, celebrate that. In fact, there are some people who've been in since the orchestra's inception, I think. Is it Steve, you've been in? Who else has been in since the beginning? Paddy? Paddy Famwinkel. We lost one last year who retired. And who else? Roy. Oh, Roy, yeah. Roy Milan, who's not here today, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, it's amazing how people, uh, you know, it's been here for a long time. But yes, we do hope to. It's very difficult to organize, but I will do my best. Thank you. Okay, maybe have one more question, and then we need to wrap it up. Anything? Any more? Or no more questions, that's easy. Well, then I shall just say, uh, it's our, truly our great honor to play for you every, uh, every show. We don't get to uh, meet you very often, the orchestra. Uh, it's nice that they're here. Don't worry, they don't bite, even though they can get over the fence. Um, <laughs> the, the orchestra love being recognized, and, uh, and they deserve to be. I'll just put it out there. The other day, uh, a very nice lady brought a, a, a plate full of cookies, which we enjoyed very much. <laughs> So if anybody else would, uh, you know, just putting it out there, no, no pressure. So uh, anyway, 
The orchestra have to go and put their makeup on and look gorgeous for the, for the show. So I will say thank you very much. And uh, see, see you later. Thank you, orchestra. Bye -bye.